Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today I'm joined by Paul Third, Sean Wallace, and Andy Skinner, all people you're familiar with. How are we, folks? We're good. Are we too familiar? But uh, thanks. Uh, not too familiar. You give the give the listeners ideas. Um, anyway, this week we've got plenty to discuss. Although, not as much as we would do if we had all the leagues on, but still plenty to get our teeth into. First up, we'll be discussing Scott Wright's pre-contract with Rangers, now agreed, as well as Aberdeen's 2-0 win over Motherwell at the weekend. There's also Ross County's 5-0 defeat at Ibrox at the hands of Rangers, Champions Elect Rangers, and what the hell's happening with League 1 and League 2? Will they restart, won't they? We'll try and hash that out as well. But first, as I mentioned, Scott Wright confirmed yesterday that Aberdeen have lost out in the battle to try and keep hold of Scott Wright. We sort of knew they would. Rangers have agreed a pre-contract win. Remains to be seen whether he'll move earlier than that in January for cash fee or something to do with the Ross McCrory fee that's due in the summer. We don't know that yet, but first reactions, guys. Um, do we expect the January deal to follow? And if it doesn't, do we expect to see Aberdeen um, field to Scott Wright again in a game? Well, yes, first of all... yes. <laughs> There's no, there's no surprise that this deal is done. I think that's the least surprising transfer of the, the January window. The question is just, will he go by next Monday night? Um, I suspect he will, because I think it will suit everyone involved to get it done and over the line and, and start afresh. But ultimately, it's up to the two clubs. I'm sure Wright wouldn't be disappointed if he got the chance to go sooner rather than later. But in the meantime... He will be playing for Aberdeen, I expect. And if a window closes and he's still a Don's player, he will be playing for the remaining games. I'm pretty sure of that. You just need to look at Ryan Jack. I mean, he still played for the Dons in the Scottish Cup final after signing for Rangers. So Scott, if available, will be in the starting eleven if he maintains his current level of performance. Yeah, I agree with you there, Paul, on both counts. I think if if the two clubs can thrash something out, Scott will be away in this window. Uh, whether that's for the Ross McCrory fee or a player swap, who knows? I mean, ideally, they could wipe out the 350000 and get a player in, such as Jordan Jones, which has, has been links with. Yeah, but as as regards, if a, a deal is not done this month, I, I think Aberdeen will still play Scott Wright. It'd be like foolish not to. I mean, he's one of their key players. And in the two games he started since... Rangers confirmed we're going to open up talks with him on a pre-contact. I've seen absolutely nothing to suggest that his level of commitment or effort will dip if, he's, if he remains at Aberdeen. I mean, he's, he was very impressive on Saturday against Motherwell. And like Paul said, I mean, Ryan Jack still played in the Scottish Cup final when we knew he was going to Rangers and his commitment level didn't dip. He was, was just as determined to win that cup. And I'm sure if Wright does play, or does stay, he'll continue to start for Derek McInnes. But obviously the absence of fans makes it slightly easier, if that's the issue. I I suppose in a long-term sense, Derek McInnes can now start planning for how he shapes his his attacking unit, really, without Scott Wright. Um, If if there is to be a, a deal done, uh, this month, then you know that becomes a, a bit more of an, an imminent issue. But uh, you know, if uh, it's, it's notoriously difficult to to get players uh, who are available and ready to come in in January, so 
Um, you'd imagine that if if Scott Wright does stick around for the the rest of the season, then you know that will certainly be a an option that he he won't want to to pass up the um you, you know the opportunity to use because uh, you know he's he's fitted well into the the structure that Aberdeen have played this season, and uh, it's difficult to see you know an instant solution to that if if Wright does you know move down the road uh, you know six months earlier than uh, than expected. Sorry, as you said, Sean, there was a clear example on Saturday of what Aberdeen are losing. Should they lose Scott Wright, not just him, Matt Kennedy, Ryan Hedges, both um, pretty good in that, that three behind Sam Cosgrove. They're losing someone that has thrived in that number 10 all this season. I mean, Derek McInnes said that Scott Wright went to him and said that he wanted to take on the added responsibility of playing in that, that role. And he's stood up to the to the challenge. I mean, he brings pace, attacking intent. He links up superbly well with Ryan Hedges. Uh, he's a he's a handful. The only the only thing that's been missing so far is the finishing. I mean, there's a couple of great chances that he's missed, but I mean, he's been one of the standout players this season. My only concern is if he does, as I anticipate, leave for Ibrox before the transfer window closes. How are they going to replace that? Because Derek McInnes has already said that there's no signings going to be coming in this window, which I wouldn't be entirely surprised if there was someone to come in because you can't lose a player of that calibre and exit the transfer window weaker than you go in if you've got genuine aspirations of pushing for success. I'd agree with that completely, Sean. Um but as for Scott Wright, it's an interesting one. It's, it's one I'd be really curious as to how Aberdeen fans genuinely feel about it. Because um, you go back to the start of last season, and Scott Wright was a slight player, physically, with pace, who'd been moved into a more central role. And following that bright start, he then had his serious knee injury, as we know, and that basically took him out of the picture for the whole of the remainder of the Caesar season. The Scott Wright, who's come back this year, is a guy who's bulked up and developed into an excellent link-up player for the Dons. Um, but it's it always struck me as the key thing for him and the team has been his understanding and partnership with Ryan Hedges. And we saw that against Motherwell on Saturday and what was their first game together in months. Aberdeen looks so much better offensively when both are in the team together. So clearly that is what the club is going to lose short term and if it goes to the summer. When, with, when Wright moves on to Ibrox. His goal return is an area he needs to improve on. Uh, I'm still not sure how to answer the question overall of what are Aberdeen losing. Um, Don's fans haven't seen the best of Scott Wright, I don't think, in an Aberdeen shirt. Maybe it's going to come at Rangers or, or somewhere else. But um, he's, he's certainly heading the right way after a few uh, stop-start adventures along the way. To be fair to Aberdeen, they haven't been in a situation for a while where there's been like a key player set to go out a contract. Uh, I mean, they've normally been pretty proactive in getting these guys signed up. I suppose it was just because Scott Wright was injured for most of the last season, and then just he was coming back, he went into to lockdown. Uh, I mean, they, they offered them the first contract in October, so they, they were doing their utmost to get him. But, I mean, they've, they've previously signed up Sam Cosgrove, Lewis Ferguson, to avoid situations like this. And if someone does come in to get the maximum amount of money. And I think it's, it's important to remember as well that Ross McCrory is still a Rangers player currently on loan at Aberdeen. So if any any Aberdeen fans that are 
angered at Scott Wright's move to Rangers, then they should maybe think that Ross McClory is a Rangers player and his commitment to Aberdeen could never be questioned. And I think it works both ways. Scott Wright, while he's still at Aberdeen, he'll give his utmost. I'm sure of that. Okay, might only be a few days anyway. So, yeah, the 2-0 no, win over Motherwell in the weekend. A good attacking performance. The goals did come from Tommy Hoban and Andy Considine, who are, of course, centre-backs. However, the thing I said to you guys before we came on was that Matty Kennedy, Ryan Hedges, what 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 the game showed for me was it strengthened the argument that they should be played as out-and-out attackers as opposed to filling in at maybe right-back and left-back next to that three-man defence. Would you agree with that? Did you think that... They really, given the week they'd had and the pressure they'd had after the Ross County defeat last weekend, they really kind of they put in a, a performance. If not, um, if Sam Cosgrove didn't bag a hat trick or anything, but they did, a lot of the things were working. I, I'd agree with that. Matty Kennedy had a good game on Saturday. He's um, really good at getting Aberdeen up the park and is a clever player when one on one against an opponent. If I'm being critical, I'd still like to see his final ball being a bit better, but he's certainly got it in his locker as he showed with his delivery from the free kick for Tommy Hoban's opening goal. As for the Don's formation, I mean, I go over this every season, I think. For me, I know a lot of people think it was a, a back three on Saturday. I think it was more a reverting to the old 4-2-3-1 from Derek McInnes. Um it was, it was funny, but for me, Hoban was right back and Johnny Hayes was left back with Ojo and Ferguson holding. And then right to left in front of them was Hedges, right Kennedy with Cosgrove up top. But what was clear during the game was how fluid a system it was. And the three behind Cosgrove were all interchangeable. They were popping up on the left, the right through the middle and, and making runs to support Sam. And that's why Aberdeen had, what was it, 26 attempts in goal? Because they were really swarming over Motherwell and getting their shots away when they were in the final third. And Hedges had so many attempts at goal. I mean, he could have had a couple in the first 20-odd minutes. He was, he's really looking, he's been banging in the shots from the edge of the box and they're going to eventually start going in. I, I just on Matty Kennedy, I mean, I, his uh, performance will come as real encouragement to Derek McInnes. And I mean, I, having been at the, the county game the week before, uh, I mean, I'm not prepared to give any Aberdeen players pass marks that day, but I think Matty Kennedy was the one that was, you know, trying the hardest to to try and make things happen on that occasion. Um, and, you know, following on from his goal against Rangers the previous week, um, you know, the Dons will be hopeful that they, they can finally get a, you know, a really good run out of him. Um, you know, he's, he's a player that I guess has had a bit of a stop-start time of it since he joined from St. Johnston around about this time last year. So um, particularly with the need, if Scott Wright does leave for, you know, more creativity from other players, uh, you know, that, that form from, from Kennedy and from Hedges as well will will be really pleasing for uh, Derek McInnes. The thing I've found pleasing as well is the format Tommy Hoban recently. And when I was watching the game on Saturday, I was just thinking, surely Aberdeen have got to enter into early talks with Hoban about potentially getting him to sign a new deal. Because if he continues the form he's on, Cobbs will start sniffing about him because he's a class act. In terms of Ross McCrory, who we've mentioned, he was not able to play at the weekend. He was injured. He's recovering from, I think, a punctured, punctured muscle in his ankle. Is that correct? That's the technical term being yeah. given, yes. Yeah. Funzo Ojo came in. Obviously, he's been a player who, it would be safe to say, has divided the fans, or perhaps he hasn't even divided them this season so far. Um, however, he, bar maybe one mistake, appeared to play 
pretty well. Would you would you concur? Do you think there's a future for Funzojo Aberdeen yet? Oof, that's a two-part question. <laughs> hey, Ojo was okay. Um, yes, he had a, a hand in a key moment, literally, uh, which he got away with. Um, but I'm sure the manager's not... Save, com- to be fair. <laughs> the manager won't be complaining at seeing a player throw himself in front of a ball to try and keep a shot out. Uh, and I'm not going to criticise him for that either. He was he was okay. I wouldn't say he was a standout on the day. Uh, that honour clearly went to, to Hedges. But he played his part in a, a good team performance in his... Only other slip really was when he lost his balance to try to play a pass and it was the one that let Tony Watt race away from the halfway line and then hit the post. But he, he did okay. Probably his best performance that we've seen given it's been a, a season of sporadic appearances for him. Even with uh, Ojo's the, the slip for his crossfield pass, it was intercepted by Tony Watt. I mean, Watt shouldn't have been allowed to run a free run at goal to get off a shot. So you couldn't really be that critical of Ojo for that mistake either. Okay. In terms of the, the Motherwell sending off, that clearly changed the game somewhat <laughs> and it allowed Aberdeen to sort of dominate that latter period. Liam Polvers, red card. Sean, I think you wrote that although the sending off was a bit of a strange one, appeared to be for saying something to the referee after he'd been barged over by Ferguson. He'd been booked earlier when he probably should have been sent off for putting the stamp on Scott right after coming together and then Starting a bit of a Rami, yeah? Yeah, well, it was virtually in front of me at Petaudry. And in the aftermath, when it was coming together, Polworth had a wee, a wee stamp out at, uh, at Scott Wright. I mean, there was no contact, but the intention was clear. So I was I just anticipated the referee Craig Napier sending him off. So I was a bit surprised. When there was a yellow showing, it was maybe clouded by the, the wee Rami after it when uh, Funzi Ojo got involved. I think Cosgrove came in and it sat. The referee lost control for about 15, 20 seconds, but he should have walked. And then the, the red card was bizarre. I mean, it just came out of the blue. I don't know what he said to the referee, but well, it clearly what- wasn't good at <laughs> From from what Graham Alexander said after the game, it was foul and abusive language. That's what he'd been told by the fourth official was the reason for the dismissal. And Polworth had admitted in the dressing room he had swore, but claims that it was at Lewis Ferguson and not at the referee. But reading between the lines, it looks like the official thinks it was aimed at him, and that's why he's gone back and shown the red card. But it, it was bizarre because we thought, why is that straight red? What's What's happened here? We thought he was asking checking on the player to see if he was needing treatment because he was holding his shoulder. Next thing you know, he's trudging down the park. Alexander's shouting from the touchline, are you having a laugh to the referee? It was all just, it was a head scratcher all around, to be honest. And it, ultimately, it was, ended Motherwell's hopes of getting back in the game. Must have been mistaken identity, like Graham Alexander said, because if you're going to send a player off for swearing at another player, we be getting games abandoned all through Britain at every level. I think... Um... I, th- I think the the thing about the incident for me that led to the, the sending off was that there was very little contact between Ferguson and Polworth for the the um, the meal Polworth ended up making of it. But there you go. Um, still, despite the 2-0 win, I mentioned Sam Cosgrove. I mentioned the team working well, but maybe Cosgrove not getting goals when he should have. I think he had two chances. He had a chance where he got shot away that was saved. He also had a moment where he got the ball in behind and took a really heavy touch. That rolled straight to the keeper. Um, I think you'd agree probably that we st- you still would like to 
see Sam Cosgrove making more of the opportunities he's got and ending that out-and-out striker goal drought that Aberdeen are currently going through. You would, but you could apply the same to Curtis May. I mean, Aberdeen's strikers have a a confidence issue at the minute. That's what it looks like. It's the best way to describe it, I think. And I would put May and Cosgrove in the same category. I think McInnes is waiting for one of them to catch fire, but the problem is neither man is quite showing it yet. Uh, maybe this upcoming busy run of games is going to help in that front because Aberdeen could be done with one of their attackers, certainly finding a bit of form. Yeah, Cosgrove looks like he's a, a little short on confidence at the moment, but I mean, you don't score 23 goals in a season if you haven't got that nose for a goal. And I still, I, I went back to it before, when his first game back when he scored that. An absolutely beautiful goal against Hibs outside the foot. It shows what he can do. So I think once he gets like one or two goals, there's the potential there that he can go on and on. And I mean, Aberdeen are sitting third in the table when both strikers have only delivered three goals each. I mean, when you look at it, it's quite remarkable and you wonder what can they do if the strikers do catch fire. If Aberdeen are to beat St Johnston and Livingston this week, do they technically win the Betfred Cup? <laughs> no. <laughs> Next question. But yeah, I, presumably, given they finally, they finally, they finally sorted that. Well, they finally taken a chance to get in the third place and not give up a chance for Celtic to drop points or whatever. Um, do you think that they'll they'll be absolutely desperate now to not get into that habit again of? giving up points against St Johnston or Livingston, they'll want to keep this now be the, the start of something, won't they? They just need to get a run going. I mean, Saturday was their first win this year, which is unlike Aberdeen to go that long, really, without a three points under their belt. Um, St Johnston on Wednesday is a fixture which rarely has more than one goal in it. And I'm not expecting there to be goals galore at McDermott Park. There seldom are between the sides. Uh, then you've got back-to-back games with Livingston, and we all know how good a run they're on at the minute. So the Tony Macaroni Arena will be a interesting place to be on Saturday. Hopefully it's third time lucky. And then the return fixture at Pitodri on Tuesday at six o'clock. Uh, if Aberdeen can win those three, then you'd have to say with a degree of confidence, that's Livy's chances of catching them out the window. Uh, from there, they're heading Easter Road to face a Hibs side, which, let's be honest, we haven't got any idea what to expect from them. When they're good, they're good. When they're... Off it, they're woeful. Um, that's why I think we've seen the third and fourth place change so many times. Um, but if, if Aberdeen go on a, on a run now, they're going to be firm favourites, certainly for third and fancying their chances of maybe really mounting that challenge that the fans would like to see for second place. But it all depends on consistent wins, and that's what we haven't seen in recent weeks. It just shows how strange this season has been, though. That I mean, Aberdeen, with that dip in form... And we're still speaking about Celtic could potentially be there for the taking. I mean, there are only four points in it. And they're still to play Celtic twice next month. I mean, that's a long way away. They've got a, they've got five games before then. I'm, I'm just yeah, praying that the Livingston game goes ahead. I've been down there twice now. I've not seen a ball kicked. I've seen plenty of balls bounced on like the test of pitch, but not really. I'm going this time, Sean. The game will be on. You'll be fine. Surely this will be on. <laughs> I think it's me and... Uh, Jamie Jamie's the unlucky he's the unlucky man here causing these postponements okay right well we'll leave the dons behind then next up we'll discuss Ross County's final defeat at Ibrox
Andy, heavy loss for Ross County. Um, they went from a good start against Aberdeen, scoring after 30-odd seconds to conceding after six minutes against Rangers, and it went downhill from there, although they did give away a penalty that didn't result in a goal because it was saved by Ross Laidlaw. But um, yeah, it was, it was clearly a game where Ross County were badly beaten, um, but it's not a game they, on the other hand, were expected to win. It's not the type of game that's going to lead to them going down. Um, they're in that relegation battle, obviously. It's the games against the teams around them, though, to win. This would have been a bonus. Is that the way Ross County are viewing it? It's certainly the way that John Hughes is viewing it because, um, you know, Ross County have got a massive double header coming up against Motherwell and Hamilton, um, the two sides that are below them in the table in uh, the next seven days. So, uh, you know, although there was, um, you know, vulnerability in, you know, some of their defending at times, John Hughes wasn't of uh, of the mind to, to really criticise them too much, which was understandable because, you know, they, they have to, to stay focused on this uh, this crucial upcoming double header. But um, that was quite a quite a strange game in a sense. They um, it was clear from an early stage that um, or a stage through uh, midway through the first half that it was going to be a, a case for County of of trying to keep the scoreline down. Um, I mean Rangers were on sort of rampant form. Um, but by the same token you know, when you look at some of the saves that Ross Laidlaw made, they actually showed quite a you know a stubborn resistance to to prevent a, an even heavier defeat. So, um, you know, they they will be disappointed with with some of the the goals that they lost, particularly the the two that came from from corners, which were essentially free headers. Um, but there was some some brilliance from Rangers in there as well, with you know a fantastic Joe Aribo finish and uh, a really well worked team goal, which. Saw just about every Rangers player touch the ball before Ryan Jack uh, put the ball in the net for the fourth goal. So uh, it's certainly one that that the Staggies won't be dwelling on too much. Um, but uh, I suppose it goes down as their, you know, their their first real bruising defeat that they've had under John Hughes. Um, so you know, you'll want to make sure that you know they learn lessons from it. But uh, no, it's a it's a big week coming up. That's un, un, unquestionable. So you don't you don't think there's going to be any dent in their confidence from that result at Ibrox? Obviously, as you uh, uh, as you alluded to, there's two what we call relegation six pointers coming up. I know some people have cringed at that phrase, but it's true, it is. isn't it? These are two games that could, I suppose, they could almost get Ross County away from the trouble, um, not completely, but um, at least take a big step towards it. Yeah, I, I think there was a, a, you know, it was evident from the game plan. Um, John Hughes went for a bit more of a rigid formation, um, sacrificed two of the the creative outlets that were so influential in the win against Aberdeen the week before, and Regan, Charles Cook, and Jermaine Hilton, and uh, shored things up a wee bit with you know five man five man backline, which included uh, uh, Leo Gelda, who joined on loan from from Celtic. Uh, 17-year-old making his senior debut and looked quite good on the ball. You can you can tell that he certainly likes to to play the ball from the back and got forward a few times as well. Uh, good stature for a a 17-year-old as well. So uh, John Hughes clearly you know has no fears about him slotting into the the first team. And Ross Draper came in as well. Um, I think uh, John Hughes had kind of alluded to the fact that he was hoping to 
to try and keep things tight in the first half and, and then look to bring the likes of Hilton and Charles Cook on in the second half. But you know, by the time they, they did come on, the game was long gone. So I, I, th- I think they, they they will feel that anything they, they could have got from that game would have been a bonus. And um, they'll just be looking to try and pick up from, from where they left off really against Aberdeen. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see both Hilton and Charles Cook back into the side. Um, I mean, it's a game where I think County have to try and really take it, take the game to, to Motherwell. Um, I mean, Motherwell are on a, a woeful league run, 12 matches without a, a victory in the Premiership. And, you know, County themselves are familiar with those sorts of runs. They they know how confident sapping that can be when, when you're in a rut like that. And I think County just have to try and embrace the the freedom that will come with with trying to get on the front foot and and, and really you know inflict a, a bit more of a dent on a, a motherwell side that you know just hasn't had any anything go their their way in recent weeks at all the midfield is going to be the key area on wednesday because again coming back to graham alexander after the the dawn's game on saturday he was asked if he's hoping to get any other players in before the window closes and a midfielder he joked was the top of his priorities because as it stands with Polworth suspended, he's only got one central midfielder left. Um, so if Ross County can make a, a positive impact there and, and dominate, that's going to be key to getting what would be a huge three points because Motherwell may have lost to Aberdeen, but they played reasonably well uh, and they were very much in the game up until that sending off at the start of the second half. Okay. Andy, there's obviously been a couple of developments in Ross County's transfer window last few days. Josh Reed expected to, any minute, complete a move to Coventry. Well, you mentioned Leo Helder. Um, What's the news on them getting players in? There's a couple of targets that have uh, been lined up by John Hughes. He'd um, always spoken of his um, wish to to get a goalkeeper and a a striker in. Um, The goalkeeping situation needed cover to uh, compete with Ross Laidlaw after Ross Duhan went back to Celtic. So um, Joe Hilton from Blackburn Rovers has been lined up to come in. That one may or may not be in place in time for the, the Motherwell game. But uh, I mean, I would imagine Ross Laidlaw will, will play regardless. I mean, he's, he's, you know, certainly earned the, the number one jersey. Um, so I, I would imagine Hilton will come in, um, you know, and have to try and dislodge Laidlaw from, from the position because he's done really, really well. Uh, the other signing that uh, County are hoping to complete this week is Jordan White, um, familiar around these parts for his two-year spell with Cali Thistle. He scored a lot of goals in the, the championship, big physical outlet up front. Um, that one won't go through before the, the Motherwell game because he's a, a Motherwell player. Um, but once that game's over and done with, uh, County are hoping to sign him on a, a permanent basis for the, the rest of the season with a view to extending that uh, should County stay up in the, the top flight. So I think John Hughes is keen to get a bit more physicality up front just to, to try and get a bit more out of um, the likes of Ollie Shaw and Billy Mackay, uh, you know, create the, the foil for, for those two strikers that, you know, don't, um, don't lead the line uh, naturally by themselves. They've obviously got Ross Stewart who is working his way back from a hamstring injury Missed out again on, on Saturday despite being expected to return, but um, you know might make it on on Wednesday. But again, there's question marks over his future as well. You know, there's plenty that could change with regards to that one in the next few days. 
uh, with a, a number of clubs interested in him. So um, Jordan White would certainly be a a player that would have a, a bit to prove in the Premiership, I suppose, because you know his his good spell with Inverness came in the second tier. Hasn't really got going at Motherwell. Only three starts since he moved there in the summer, but um, you know he's got the, the potential to be a, a good foil for some of the the other options that they've got up front. Okay, we'll see what happens with Ross County. Hopefully, they can bag some points across those two games the coming days. It should be said before we move on that Cali Thistle have two championship games this week. They travel to Greenock Morton to play their postponed game on Wednesday before, on Saturday, they host Queen of the South. The final piece of business we'll discuss after this break is potential League 1 and League 2 restart. Okay, so, developments. In terms of Leagues 1 and 2 over the weekend, obviously the Premiership and Championship are continuing. The Championship with testing, similar to the Premiership. Uh, the Highland League, Lowland League, women's football, they're currently suspended along with Leagues 1 and 2. However, the League 1 and 2 teams, 20 of them have banded together to produce a paper called on SFA Chief Executive Ian Maxwell to let them play. They're, we're meeting with him yesterday. Their plan involves starting training on February 15th. Their games on March 2nd, they're going to volunteer for weekly COVID-19 testing and um, they're going to limit goal celebrations they're going to travel individually to games where possible they won't be taking any visiting directors to games all to get restarted again and hopefully complete their season whether they'll be allowed to it remains to be seen but they feel what they've come up with is worth a try Um, I'm told there are detractors which we might get onto in a moment but um, first of all guys do you do you think um uh foot forward approach like the league one and two clubs have taken will will um will work in their favor shall we say it's it's admirable in their part that they've said look this is the plan we've come up with that we think can get back playing but what, what worries me is not so much the issues about the testing and what have you it's the games i mean we're, we're talk- i know you just need to look at carly thistle in the championship and the number of matches they now have outstanding if we're talking about lower league teams not playing again until the 2nd of March, that's going to be an almighty Saturday-Wednesday fixture running for a lot of part-time teams. And that's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a real struggle for them. Are we, are we basically saying that if they aren't allowed in this instance to restart, i.e. the games don't start on March 2nd, um, that that will be the season in effect? Over for these teams then? It would have to be. How, how could you? When, how, how long could you leave it? We'd have to sit down and get the the pencils and the calculators and the notepads out here. And I mean, look at how many games you would have to fit in to get these matches played in time to finish the season. I've heard no one talking about a season being extended at all. Nowhere. No club has said, well, if we have to pause it, we'll come back and finish it later. We don't know what's happening with the Highland League. We don't know what's happening. With the playoffs, I, I'm having deja vu here, guys, when I'm <laughs> thinking about last year and where we're now heading. If it's not back March the 2nd, I agree with Paul. I just can't see how they're going to be able to fit in the, the games. Plus, you've also got a Scottish Cup as well to consider. What's going to happen with that? I think the, I mean, the testing um, relating to, to Elgin, which is you know one of the, the clubs that I mainly cover, um, has the potential to be logistically really difficult they've mentioned in the past that they've got a, a squad that um you know is kind of 
made up of players that are are located all throughout the country, and um, it's it's just going to be you know interesting to see how how that testing would would work, um, and also to relate it to you know the recent example we saw with Wraith Rovers, you know with with that extra strain that we we would have on the fixture list, you know, can you imagine if there was an outbreak like that at a, a lower league club? Uh, you know, just how how much that would you know delay things as well. Um, I think it's it's more the the logistics of it, as Paul mentions that that would concern me more than anything. I'm just thinking here, guys. Right? Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought through the the testing side of things until Andy mentioned it there. But assuming the start on the 2nd of March, all these games that they've missed are going to have to be rescheduled for midweeks. So if you're playing on a Saturday and then again in midweek, a Tuesday or a Wednesday, in, at part-time level, you're not training after a game on a Saturday before you play again in midweek. So when are you doing your test? And these guys, as we've said, in Elgin and Peterhead and, and other clubs across the country, the players are scattered geographically all over Scotland. So trying to get them all together for testing is going to be uh, <laughs> interesting, to put it mildly. It's just the same. It's the same argument, isn't it? That um, that we, we talk about for the Premiership, the Championship clubs. It's if if it's unsafe to me to play League One and Two football, it's probably unsafe because the bubbles don't really exist. They're kind of they're making on bubbles because people are going to the shops and they're going to the petrol stations and at part time level, some of the Championship teams players are going to their work. That. Just because you're testing players doesn't mean that the cases can't slip by and then games played with people that are positive. Um, and the, the other thing as well about the plan is not that I don't think it's it's admirable that they've, as you said, Paul, that they've gone forward with these ideas of how they can convince the SFA to let them play. Things like goal celebrations. I mean, the, the hoo-ha over that in England's annoying Goal celebrations. So you can... You're not allowed to celebrate and hug your teammates because that's dangerous. That's a way to get COVID. But two seconds before you score from a corner, you can have three players crowded around a keeper <laughs> of the other team. You know what I mean? <laughs> who, who technically aren't in your bubble. I find that I find it bizarre how that comes into things. Um, how it's relevant considering some of the other things that players are doing in the course of playing the game. The other thing as well about you can go in cars and instead of buses, I'm pretty sure the teams have been using buses have been doing it in a spaced out fashion. Um, an example I was given was that Montrose used two buses to get to Peterhead on December 22nd. So, I, again, I, I feel like, although they've come up with these solutions, um, I think it's unlikely, one, the SFA are going to go for it. And if anything, to me, it's just made me think, well, again, why aren't the Premiership and Championship off if these things are so, um, so dangerous? Things like the... Goal celebrations, you're bang on. I mean, you could be all over a player 30 seconds beforehand at a corner, but if you head it in, then you can't celebrate or touch any of your teammates. It's the inconsistencies in football and inconsistencies within society when we're told you can do this, can't do that, changing all the time that creates so much confusion and anger with people. And it's constantly clouded the water. No one really knows like what's happening. That's a problem. It certainly shows that the appetite is there for the um, you know the lower league clubs to to get playing again as soon as they can. Because I remember when it was shut down, you know, an argument that we heard from a, a lot of people was that you know the the lower leagues, the leagues one and two, since they had returned, had uh, you know c- come up with 
very, very few outbreaks compared to to the more publicised ones, which uh, which had taken place in the Premiership. Um, and I suppose that's the, the the testing might give them the peace of mind to be able to to sort of crack on and and, and go ahead with that. But uh, it's yeah, it's going to be a, a really tricky and uncertain few weeks, uh, regardless. The the goal celebration bit is the it's just the PC going mad for me. I mean, go back to Aberdeen on Saturday. Here's Liam Polworth and Lewis Ferguson arm in arm, like they're running down the aisle and get married or something. And then, it, but and that's okay. That's a red card for Liam Polworth afterwards, <laughs> ultimately. But you can't score a last minute winner and celebrate it with your teammates. Could be a huge game that qualifies you for Europe or gets you into the playoffs or or wins a title. It's just come on. Why why are we playing? What what? fun is left in the game it's it's almost like we've got a checklist and we're going no we can't have that we can't have that just, well look uh, at the first Polworth incident every single player on the pitch was head to head on the halfway line uh, but yep. uh, from both teams as well from the two separate bubbles what, as, what I was trying to say before was that there's a situation unfolding here where we allow leagues one and two to come back and we say to them but you've got to be travelling in individual cars despite the fact you're now tested You've got to, you're not allowed to celebrate goals despite the fact you're now tested, but we're allowing the Premiership and Championship to continue travel, to continue to travel on buses, to continue to um, have Ramies in the middle of the pitch, probably celebrate goals together. It just, it just, as Sean said, inconsistency everywhere. It's like, if these things are unsafe, they are unsafe. And therefore, anyone that's doing them, football at all levels, needs to be stopped, surely. Agreed. Yep, all right. Well, now that's the world set to rights, and I think we'll end this week's episode of Northern Goal. Thank you very much to Paul, John, Andy for joining me today. Cheers, guys. Uh, you're welcome. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to Northern Goal on your favourite podcast app. You can also email us at D- uh, northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And finally, enjoy the feast of Premiership football coming up in the next few days. See you later. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.